The rest of you may be seated. Thank you for your generosity. I am so excited today to tag team preach with an awesome man of God. He came here today with his beautiful wife and baby boy, Joshua West. Let's give it up for this man of God. In the next few moments, we're going to tag team preach. We've, we've made it quite interesting, so I'm going to let you know about the inside scoop. Uh, I said to him, we've got to preach two different messages, and then I don't want to know what your message is going to be. So as you preach the first half, I'm going to come up and just go with whatever the Lord gives me. So this is going to be fun. He's going to preach two different ones, and I don't know what they're going to be. So that's the bottom line. And uh, if you're blessed by the message, because I just want to take care of this now because we'll do a... A great altar call at the end. I just sense the Lord is going to set us on fire for evangelism and discipleship, holiness, all of these things that matter so much to us. He's got books in the back. He'll tell you all about that. But um, if you want to give to his ministry, all you have to do is give online or on the envelope and just put Josh or World Challenge WC, and then uh, we'll make sure to give that to him as well as our gift to the uh, from the church. Amen? All right, put your hands together for Joshua West of World Challenge Come on, man of God. Let's go. Praise God. Thank you very much. Uh, I got to spend the day yesterday with Pastor Joe, and what a tremendous uh, couple him and his wife Nancy are. Just wonderful, wonderful people. Um, I, I, I do want to say one thing before I get into God's Word is, uh, when Paul, the apostle, wrote to some churches in the New Testament, uh, the ones that were, um, that were faithful and biblical, he started it out by saying, I long to come visit you because I heard about you. And, and the reason that I, I wanted to come and, and minister or to even just connect with this church is because I, I heard about you. Um, and the thing that I heard about was that you guys proclaim the gospel on the highways and the byways, that you preach the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, actually, my, my real dear friend, um, Lauren Treffler, went to Bible college with Joe, and, and he was always telling me about Joe. And then later, I became connected with Juan, and I was just like, man, I, 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 I want to go be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I pray that God knit us together. One other thing before I get into God's Word, uh, we have a book table out there uh, with books that I've written, some books written by the founder of our ministry, David Wilkerson. Um, and if you guys are interested in any of those, um, all I would ask you to do is to give above your tithe and offering a donation to your church because that was a little way we can sow back into your church and the good work that you guys are doing in Chicago. So. It, whatever God lays on your heart, whatever you can afford. And if you don't, if you're just here and you just don't have any money, you're in a real hard financial time, just let my wife know that you're taking one. Uh, that way we can account for it and you're free to take one at no charge. Um, if you'll get your Bible out and turn with me to the book of Matthew, we'll be in chapter 16. And this message is titled, Come and Die. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 21, the word of God says, from that time, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of man. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I'm going to read one more text and then tie them together. Hebrews 13, 7 through 14. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. For it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, 
not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. For we have an altar from which the ministers of the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy places, a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate to make his people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for we do not have here an enduring city, but we're looking for a city to come. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. God, I thank you for your word, sacred and true, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that my personality, my, my imperfections would decrease, and God, that your word would be proclaimed under the anointing of your spirit, and that your word would be proclaimed, and that your work would be done among your people. God, if there's anyone in here today that is, is not in Christ, that you would draw them through the preached word and the power of your spirit. For those of us who are in Christ, God, conform us to the image of your son so that we might be salt and light in a world that is dark and dying. In Jesus' name, amen. So to jump right into the text, we're sitting here uh, in, this, in this message where, where, where Jesus is talking to one of his disciples, and Peter corrects Jesus. He comes up to him and he says, listen, you say you're going to go on this Calvary hill and die, but I'm not going to let that happen to you. Kind of like virtue signaling is noble. Oh, no, no, no. That's not going to happen here. Not on my watch, Jesus. And I just want us to focus very quickly in on, on Jesus's reaction to him. He didn't say, oh, Peter, guy, you, you know, hey, you, you, you just confused or you're misunderstood. Why did Jesus rebuke Peter so harshly? Why did Jesus rebuke Peter the way he did? Peter's a disciple. Peter would become an apostle. Peter would preach at the day of Pentecost. Peter would become one of the most important heads of the early church. Why did Jesus talk to Peter this way in the, in the open expression in front of the other disciples? This is why. Because anything that stands in the way of the cross of Jesus Christ must be rebuked. And must be rebuked harshly. Anything that stands in the way of the cross must be rebuked. And so even when it was Peter, his son in the faith, his, one of his 12 disciples, when he tried to stop Jesus from what he was called to earth to do, he rebuked him. Because anything that stands in the way of the cross must be rebuked. Now listen, let's skip back for a second here and look at... Uh, verse 13, so we're still in Matthew chapter 16, but let's skip back to the very the, the preceding paragraph. Verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, while others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus asks them this question. And this question is the most important question that anyone can ever answer. But who do you say that I am? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Think about this. Peter made a profession of faith of who Jesus was. And then the literal Jesus himself validates that, that revelation that Peter had. Could you imagine saying something, a revelation you had from God himself? And Jesus said, right on. Yes. How exciting. The words of his mouth 
validated by Jesus. And then he goes on to give him this affirmation. And listen, Peter, on that confession, we're going to build my entire church. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And you're going to have power and the gates of hell won't prevail. Woo! How exciting. And then moments later, he says, get behind me, Satan. Because here's the most important thing. The profession of faith is only part of it. The profession of, listen, faith without works is dead. He said, listen, that's a great profession, but let me tell you what it looks like to walk it out. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up a cross, deny himself, and follow me. See, a lot of people make a profession of faith. All across this country today, there are large air-conditioned buildings with stadium seating where people have made a profession of faith to a God they're not interested in knowing or following from His Word. People that are ashamed of the very gospel of Jesus Christ. But someone has convinced them that if they recite this mantra, that they're good. They don't say it exactly like that. They kind of pepper it a little bit. They make you feel good. Hey, you're fine. We all make mistakes. Do you? God wants you to do you. God wants to bless you in whatever you do. But say this prayer with me. Dim the lights. Would you come up on the keyboard? Nobody's looking around. No one will ever ask. No one will ever know. That's not it. See, the profession of faith is actually a recognition of a work that's happened in your heart. Like your eyes have been opened. See, for me, that happened on the sixth floor of the Dallas County Jail when I was in jail for a year because I was a drug dealer and a wretched drug addict who couldn't stop getting high. And I had, I had done all the things. I watched all the, the hyper-faith guys on TV, and I, I just couldn't seem to make it work. And here's the reason why. Because I had no interest in following Jesus. I wanted to be saved. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to make a profession of faith that made me good with God. You know, I wanted to stop doing drugs too. Get a good job, have a nice place to live. And then, you know, God bless me so I could go do me. But what happened in the sixth floor of the Loose Sterrett Justice Center was a man who had been in prison for 10 years by the name of Tyrone had been brought back so that he could be part of another court hearing. And he was a true disciple of Jesus. And he walked up to me while I was reading the Bible and he said, are you a disciple of Jesus? And I said, whoa, a disciple? Wow, no, I mean, I'm a Christian. Because I said the prayer. He said, show me in the Bible where it says that. Listen, brothers and sisters, you can't call him Savior if you don't call him Lord. And there's no such thing as Christians who don't follow Jesus. And I understand that there's a movement, a grace movement in our country that is well-meaning. We don't want people to think, you know, we want people with past and all this sort of other stuff to know that they're welcome at the foot of the cross. But what we've unintentionally or maybe some intentionally have done is we've made it seem like that that just keeps going with us past the cross. See, when it says enter through the narrow gate or deny yourself and pick up a cross, this isn't like some mature Christianity from some extreme Christian. This is Christianity 101. This is the entry door to the narrow path. And the problem is, is we don't present it that way to people. See, I believe that Jesus can save anybody. That Jesus can deliver anybody from anything. From a life of sexual immorality. From drug addiction. From alcoholism. From pride. From pornography. All of that stuff. But the problem is, is many people who want to be delivered don't want to bow a knee to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And that's the problem. So we think that Christianity is powerless, but the version is that they're proclaiming actually is powerless. Because there is no power without the lordship of Christ. And he did come to seek and save the lost. See, Peter was concerned about human concerns. And I'm not beating up on the church. Listen, I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. That's Christ's bride. You better be careful if you talk about the church. But Jesus says, I'll build the church. His church, his true church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. 
But I do believe it is our responsibility. And I think we have great precedent from the Apostle Paul to call out things in the church that don't line up with this. And we have churches that are so focused on human concerns. I mean, listen, I hope that you have a good marriage. And I hope that if your marriage is in trouble, you come to the pastors, you get counseling, God works through. But we don't need sermons every week about your personal destiny, about your marriage, about how great you are. Listen, that's the message of most churches. God's got big plans for you and you're important. And I'm not here to say that either of those things aren't true. But the problem is, is we think our plans are God's plans. And our plans aren't God's plans. See, Peter was worried about human concerns. And here's the truth contextually. We know this from church history and just from the things Jesus says in the New Testament. That they were kind of hoping that Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom then. Because they were saying things like, hey, when you overthrow Rome, who gets to sit at your right and left? What about me? So their hopes and their dreams and their identity were pitted in something that they perceived about Jesus that wasn't true. And most people in our culture today that are let down by God or let down by the church, what they're actually let down is they have pinned their personal human concerns and what they want out of Christianity and what they want out of God onto the cross. And when that doesn't work out, then Jesus somehow felled them. Human concerns. Listen, the Bible doesn't tell you all the answers to all the questions you want. The Bible answers the questions God wants it to answer. And I'm sorry that I always go back to Teen Challenge, but that's my frame of reference. When people would come to our ministry addicted and headed to prison and all this sort of stuff, when I pastored a Teen Challenge for a decade... They would always want answers to the questions that they wanted answers to or questions that society told them they needed answers to. And they would be very frustrated with us because they would say, hey, all I really want is to get off heroin and have a good job so I can go shack up with this girl that I know. And we would always point them back to Christian discipleship. To a bloodstained cross. To the power of Jesus. And they would be frustrated because don't you have anything practical to help me with? But what they didn't understand is they didn't need the question answered to the human concern. They needed the greater question answered. Because once that question was answered, then everything would fall in place. Don't misunderstand me. When I say fall in place, I don't mean fall into the place of the way they thought life would turn out. Because once you realize who Jesus is, everything changes. I had plans on being a rock star. I had plans on being rich. I had a lot of plans. You know what God called me to be? A preacher. A simple preacher of the gospel. I had no, I mean, I had no plans to be a preacher. See, I tried to pin for many years my human concerns on God. But one day I saw him as Lord. I saw him as king. And then my prayer was, God, my life is yours. If you want this trash heap of a life, you can have it. It's all yours. It always was yours. That's why in Romans 12, 1, Paul says, listen, your basic, like, Christian service, like the basic, like the most, just like initial elementary thing you can do is give your whole life to God as a living sacrifice. We're called to be salt and light in a world that, that, that is governed by darkness, that is ruled by the spirit of this age. And I'm here to tell you, and you know this, and, and most of you know this here, but in case you just showed up, it's impossible to truly be salt and light in this world without being persecuted. In fact, in the book of Timothy, it says, indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ, will be persecuted. So I'm of the belief system of if you're not encountering any kind of persecution in your life, you're not really preaching the message of the gospel day in and day out in your life, or you're not living a life of holiness. Because those two things will put you immediately in conflict with the world. Listen, I was preaching, um, or actually listening to a preacher talk about Ephesians the other day about the, 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 play, the role of a man and a woman in marriage. And he said, 
When you get through the first four words of the verse, you're already in conflict to the world. When you say, husbands, love your wives. Why would that put us in conflict? Because it doesn't say, husbands, love your husbands. And some people get mad. Hey, that's not a very loving thing to say. I actually had a preacher tell me, Josh, it's supposed to be the truth in love. Haven't you read the writings of Paul? But here's the truth. I do love the lost. I love them. And here's the thing. It's not just the truth in love. We have to realize that the truth is love. The truth is love. And when we proclaim the word of God like I had the pleasure of doing with you guys this weekend in front of the bean or in front of an abortion clinic or the other places that you guys are frequently preaching the gospel. The reason we do that, yes, it is to see sinners saved. It is to see people drawn into fellowship with God. But I don't rate success whether or not people respond to me or not. You know what I rate success by? Have I accurately proclaimed the message of the king? Because preaching first and foremost is proclamation. See, if I go represent God soundly, when I say narrow is the way that leads to life and a few find it, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If a hundred people come up and, and ask me to pray for them, or if they flip me off like they did, we are still successful because we have been faithful to God. And these are the concerns of God, not the concerns of man. But hear me, when we focus on the concerns of God rather than the concerns of man, even though it doesn't seem like it, that's when we actually see people come to salvation in Christ. See, a church this size might have uh, people in the world trying to tell you, hey, what you're doing is not successful. Because they rate success by how many people that they can get into a large air-conditioned building. And they're willing to do anything to get them in there. That's not success. Now listen, if this church preaches the gospel faithfully like it does week in and week out, and it begins to grow and you guys have to get a new building, then that's kingdom growth. But if you make one compromise to do it, if you make one compromise to do it, you're not proclaiming the truth of God's word. Let me get to the last part of my message. you got six minutes, Joe. We're called to be salt and light. Now, what does it say in Hebrews 10? Everyone likes to talk about Hebrews 11. It's a great chapter. It's an exciting chapter because it makes us realize that we are knit into this amazing cloud of witnesses. People like Moses, right? And Abraham, but also a prostitute named Rahab. Or people that were sawed in half for proclaiming the word of the Lord. We're part of that amazing heritage. But in Hebrews 10, it gives a personal, real-life example of what those people look like. Most church historians believe this was a small church in Rome. And during that time, they were suffering a great persecution. And the author of Hebrews is telling them to hold fast to their faith. And he says things like this. They were willing to, be, to suffer and go to prison. Why? Because they were concerned about human concerns? No, because they were looking forward to a future reward. See, the people who are of earthly good in this life who can actually address human concerns are people that are looking forward to a future city whose builder and maker is God himself. That's why we live like sojourners. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's any value in suffering in and of itself. I'm not saying if you, like, make a bunch of mistakes... And you, or you just, you know, go out and whip yourself. Oh, I'm going to suffer for God. There's no value in that. There's value in suffering for something you love. I like to give this example. This wouldn't really happen, but just in case it, it, it kind of paints a picture. It would be like if my son was just in this mind-numbing pain, my two-year-old son, and he just couldn't stop pe- crying because his bones hurt and every part of his body hurt. He just wept and screamed, and we took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, He's got a disorder, and we're not going to be able to to cure this pain. But we have a new procedure where we can transfer it to you. Will you do it? Well, I'm not sitting there going, hey, man, how can I find a way to suffer today? But in that case, I would say, where do I sign? When can we do it? Because the love I have for my son, brothers, while we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners. And that's what we're proclaiming to the world. 
that Jesus bled and died. When the world tells me, where's the love of God and all this, I say it's stained on the back of a blood-stained cross. You want him to do something for you? He's already done everything. It is finished. Let's look at the final scripture that I, that I mentioned. On my way there, though, let me read you just a handful of scripture. I'm going to throw them at you. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Acts 5.41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You guys know that story? They're out there preaching the gospel in front of the temple. John and Peter, they arrest them. They talk about killing them, but they don't want them to be martyrs. So they're like, let's just beat them within an inch of their life and tell them not to preach the gospel anymore. What did they do? They took their beating and said, I guess we can't go out there anymore. No. It says they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And the next verse says, and every day after that, they went preaching the gospel in front of the temple and from house to house. They were joyed for it because of the value of Jesus. Here's the final scripture. And get to it. Hebrews 13, 7. The reason I, I started here, except for a few verses down, is because it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Listen, your pastor didn't put me up to this, and I'm not trying to like glorify your church. I'm, I'm not. But I want you to hear something. Remember your leaders. Remember the person that met you in the street and told you that Jesus was the only way to God. Remember the person that counseled you in the darkest moment of your life when you walked into this place. Remember the person that boldly proclaimed this word to you and you rejected him. And later when you came back and you said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, they took you in with open arms. Remember the leaders. Remember the ones who told you the truth about God. There's a lot of shiny things out in the world. There's a lot of versions of Christianity that proclaim the name of God but deny the power there within. But we as the body of Christ have to hold fast to the truth of God's word. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, remember those people. I'm talking about another book in the Bible. Remember what I taught you. Remember how I taught it to you. And now go teach that to other people. This is Christian discipleship. It's not about church chopping. It's not about finding the, the new, exciting. It's about remembering the body of Christ, remembering the leaders who brought you in and discipled you. Here's why so many people jump from church to church and in and out of church. Because there is no discipleship. And although they have a sign that says, welcome home, there is no home. Because there's no correction. There's no rebuke. And because of that, there's no love. Don't you know Jesus says, I rebuke those I love. Or Paul said that God rebukes those. He chastises those who are actually his sons and daughters. So remember your leaders. But as I close here, I want to skip down to the bottom part. So we have been called to come and die. We've been called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And not for nothing so that we would have eternal life. And now the author of Hebrews tells us to not just stay inside the walls of Jerusalem. Not to stay in the safe place. He didn't say go to the synagogue and hide out. He says go to the place where Jesus was. And, and if you don't know what he's talking about, the, the city of Jerusalem had walls around it like most first century and ancient cities do. Because there was dangerous things outside there. There was rebels and thieves. There were wild animals. It was dark. There was no light. That's where they took the carcasses to burn them. That's where the lepers were. That's where it was unsafe. And the call to come and die is, a, is Jesus from the cross saying, come to me outside the camp. Suffer reproach like I did. Why? Because here we have no enduring city. If you want to see the power of God in your city, but more importantly in your own life, it's about coming to die. Laying, all of Christianity is about subtraction in the beginning. God is not going, listen, I'm done after this, but here's, here's something every person needs to hear. God is not going to build a mansion where you go, but I got this one little shack, and I just like it. 
Could you build around it? Could you build on it? I want the house. I want the new life. I want all of that stuff. No, it's got to be bulldozed. And that's what Christianity is about subtraction. It's about coming to die, but not for nothing. That you might live. Amen. That's what's up. I'm going to have our brother grab a seat there, as the old school preachers used to do. Open up your Bibles with me to continue this wonderful thought to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Brothers and sisters, I just, I can't tell you how excited I am to do this. I get to pastor and do these things. When I first met Pastor or Evangelist Adam through a friend, I said, brother, let's try to do a week revival, put no time limits and see what God will do. When I first met my brother here, I said, let's tag team. I just love being a pastor. I love being with you today. Are you guys blessed right now? Isn't this amazing? The crucified life. I'm thinking when he said this, that his direction would be primarily based on what I knew he wrote about, what he had talked to me about. And so now what I want you to hear is how this fits in theologically to how we adjust our perspective of our identity in this crucified life. Because as you're living to die, as you're carrying the cross with you, you're going to be tempted with sin. That will not leave you. It will be there. And as a pastor over the years, I have seen people get so excited at the message of going out and basically living to die for Jesus. But then time goes on. And then the life that you live becomes wearisome and things will begin to change and the passion that you simply had at a service like this will go away and you will then have to decide at that moment, will I still live the crucified life? In other words, the crucified life is not just a worldview that we adopt to be against what they are for. So we're not just simply saying, I'm willing to die for Jesus, you LGBTQ crazy people, and let me just tell you all about it, and I'm going to be different. I'm going to homeschool. My children are going to wear skirts, and they can only watch VeggieTales or Christian YouTube. Okay? What we need to understand is that that, that that itself is important, but over time, that will leave you off of an adrenaline rush. It will leave you disappointed if that's all you think Christianity is. Christianity and the death that we suffer to enter Christianity is a new life that not only has a, an evangelism worldview perspective, but has an eternal goal in mind. In other words, this is temporary, but what we will do forever with the cross remains. And so you have to see that now. Because if people don't listen to you now, you still live a crucified life. If your family doesn't want to be crucified with you, your children, you still have to have a crucified life. If when we go and preach the bean and get at the bean and get all hype and excited, if that wears away, you still have to live a crucified life. Why is that? Because God created us to live for him, and our flesh and sin got in the way. And this process of redemption is to remove that obstacle and to restore us back to our kingdom status. The kingdom status for all of us is to be this close to God and to never be separate, is to know God more than you know yourself. And look at Paul and how he ties this together because they were having to understand the crucified life in view of the law. It made no sense to the Jews at that time. How does this, and even if you ever talk to a Jew today, their first argument to you is why does that matter? They don't even see it pictured or prophesied in the Old Testament. That's why I say bring them back to Isaiah 53 and ask them, who is this referring to? And oftentimes they'll say Jesus, not even knowing that it's an Old Testament prophet. They think it's written by a disciple of Jesus. The prophecies. But listen, they were trying to understand, as Jews get confused today, the stumbling block of the cross. How does, even if he's a good man, even the Muslims struggle with this, even if he was a good man and a prophet, how does he dying? mean anything to me? How does that mean anything to me? Look at what Paul says, for, th for through the law, I died to the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Somebody say die, die. to live. 
Isn't that what our brother was talking about? We die to live. But notice now the theological grounding of this. Understand the depth of this. This is why I love tag team. This is fun, man. I get to talk about a different aspect of this, like you're getting a conference right now. Come on. Did you, anybody pre-register for $9.99? Okay, so we're charging a full price today. No, I'm kidding. But, but listen, the law was what he died to when he came alive to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died fulfilling the law. Look at this. Through the law, I died. He came through the death of Christ alive. Christ fulfilled the law. The law isn't bad. Read how much David loved the law. Psalm 119 is a love song to the law. People love writing songs about love songs about their boo, about this and that, you know, all these things. David wrote a love song about the law. So the law is not bad. It just couldn't get us to the finish line. So the law brought death, specifically the greatest death, Jesus on the cross. Does everybody see that? And through that death in the law, Paul says he died. But remember, he has to now live. How is he now going to live? Keep going. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Are you guys ready for the great exchange right here? Death on the cross brought life to you. The separation of humanity from divinity was brought through Christ in his incarnation. By God becoming man, man can become now like God. The separation brought together. And so this is why we do it. This is why we do it. So when people talk to me about discipleship and evangelism and living the crucified life, they sometimes confuse the works of the radical Christian with the actual theological basis. And so that's why when my brother is saying, if you don't do these things, you must not be truly crucified with Christ, it comes back to this. Brothers and sisters, if we're not making disciples, we must not be a disciple. If we're not out winning souls, then our souls must not have been saved. If we're not living holy and teaching holiness, we might not have never met the Holy One. Because if you have come into Christ, you have died to the law, and you have come alive with Jesus, and now you're brought together. And brothers and sisters, this life is short, and you'll only carry this cross for a certain amount of time in this world, but you will forever now live in the eternal state, eternal life, because Christ died so that you could live. And then we rule and reign with him. Notice how he ties it together. The life I now live in the body, making it very clear in the body, right now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There it is. How can I not give myself to the woman that spat in Juan's face. Look it up if you haven't seen it. He was spat on by a woman. How can I not give myself to her when it's my turn next week to be out there again because I'm better than her. I can't do that. I live in a better neighborhood. I come from, no, no, no. I have to give myself to her and this city and the young people at school, I'm missing them right now. One of my things that the Lord's told me to do is bring the gospel truck to the high schools. We drop the stage, preach the gospel, bring out some basketball goals. They make it. They win a gift card. And we just love on them. I give myself to them. Why? Because Christ gave himself to me. That's why we preach. That's why we go out. That's why I'm carrying a cross today. Not like Cousin Flacco who's got the cross here and he kisses it all the time. No, I'm carrying the real cross in my soul today. I'm dying to myself today and living for Jesus because he gave himself for me. I'm giving myself to the world so that Jesus could be glorified. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Is Jesus not worthy of the suffering of the cross today in our lives in Chicago? Is he worth it? Is he worth the south, the south side, the west side? Whatever they say to us and about us, is he not worth it? He's worth it. It's not that I have to do it, brothers and sisters. I get to do it. I'm living by faith. In a big picture that is rooted in revelation from ancient times. That men and women have fallen and sinned. And law came to remind us of the guardrails because we couldn't even get that right. And I will never 
let someone mock my Old Testament when they don't know what a gender is. I am proud of the death penalties of our Old Testament. I'm proud of the judgments of Sodom and Gomorrah. I stand by the destruction of Canaan and the the Israelite army. None of that should make us blush. It is our God upholding his standard and it's his planet and he can do with it what he wants. And if he chooses to save us by his word, then you better obey. Otherwise, you have nothing to complain about. He could have kept us all in damnation. Who are we? So I will never be at the defense of a moral argument based on people who abort their children, don't know the definition of or a male or female, and then try to make us feel embarrassed that we couldn't eat pork or shellfish for a time. It was the culture of our people, and I'm proud of that culture. But listen, that law could not save because no matter how much we aimed at it or tried to achieve it, the best of us failed at it. David failed at it. Moses failed at it. He couldn't even go into the promised land. Samson gets his eyes gouged out. He fails at it. That's why in Romans, the, the, you know, David is quoting from the psalm, uh, uh, Paul quoting from the psalm, you know, David there says, there is none righteous, no, not even one. But here comes Christ to the rescue with the cross, fulfilling the law, giving himself for us. And then now what does Paul say? I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't act as if now everything goes. I get to do whatever I want. Sometimes people that follow the Hebrew roots movements try to get us to keep the Sabbath and the dietary laws. They're all hypocrites because it's based upon the Jewish system of the temple and they don't have that, though all of this now is then meaningless. So they try to pick and choose and get mad that we pick and choose. But here's the simple thing. The reason why we only keep the moral laws because that's what Christ asserted, not the dietary, the festival, or the priestly law. Can I hear an amen? They're hypocritical when they think we pick and choose based on our own parameters. No, no, no. We do it based on what Jesus taught us to do to withdraw from the law to having the law of Christ. They now pick and choose. Well, I'll keep a Sabbath, I'll keep a diet, and then I'll look my nose down on you. Are you listening to me? But Paul is very clear here because he speaks in the same letter about the law of Christ. There is a law. But it's not that one. It's not that covenant. It's the law of Christ. So I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So I'm not sitting here saying, as a Christian, I can do whatever I want and just call myself a Christian, expect for it to go good on judgment day. No, I'm going to fulfill the righteousness of God that's apart from the law. That's by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? Now quickly, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Somebody say, make it plain. I want you now to get ready to leave out of this place today with a word that now ties together what we just heard. And that's why I wanted him to stay up here because it's one and the same message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, starting verse 16 rather, or verse 18. We're going to live a crucified life. We're not going to be like Peter in the way that denies the purpose and plans of God. We're going to be like Peter who affirms the, the plans of Jesus by calling him the Christ and be repentive and let Christ rebuke us and set us straight. We're not going to merely be intellectually involved in a debate with this world. We're going to fulfill the righteous requirements of God and give ourselves to them because Christ gave himself for us. Amen? And then in closing, I want you to think about what now comes to your mind when you now think about how this applies. What comes into my mind is how the world is going to think foolishness of me. They're going to think I'm a fool. I may have been called a fool before, if, if not worse words than that, because you preached about the cross. Notice what Paul said here. The message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, you see, they don't get it. They don't understand it. But to us who are being saved, it's what? It's the power of God. It's what? Say it like you're up this morning. It's what? The power of God. Notice that it's foolishness to one, but the power of God to another. Brother and sister, do not let this world take away the power of the cross. Do not be embarrassed of the cross. Do not be ashamed of the cross. Do not think that the cross has lost its power because you're going through a dry spell or maybe you're backslidden or you're not praying like you should or reading your Bible like you should or you're not as close to God as you once were. Don't ever think to yourselves, brothers and sisters, that something changed with the cross. Trust me, I've been there with you. I've been tempted. I've been deceived into believing, well, maybe I can't always be this hype or maybe I can't always be this passionate. I know adrenaline come and goes, but I always want to be passionate 
passionate for Jesus. Are you listening? I always want my heart to be on fire for Jesus. John Wesley said, set my life on fire so the world can watch me burn. But sometimes I've thought to myself, oh, well, maybe, uh, you know, I'm 46 now, and I was always a young man. Now I'm not so much a young man. Maybe this is what it's like to serve God in my older years. Maybe, maybe this is a new dance that I have to learn with Jesus, you know. We, we, we danced the bochata before, you know. Now we just dance the salsa, you know. I don't know which one's more intense, but you get my point. We switched up. I know my people, by the way. We've got some visitors over here. They like it when I talk about Latino dances. You know what I'm saying? This is me trying right here. At least I don't do the one. No, I'm sorry. I don't know what's that one. What is that one called? The what? No one knows that one, Joe. You just made it up. No, you know which one I'm talking about. But listen to me, my brothers and sisters. I've had to deal with that. But here's the thing. You know what, you know what comes into my heart? Hold on. John Wesley lived his whole life on fire for Jesus. Hold on, David Wilkerson, you know, his hero and mine, lived his whole life on fire for Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill lived his whole life. These missionaries from these various countries have lived their whole lives on fire for Jesus. Who am I now to say in the 21st century, oh, Jesus, thank you for giving me all that passion when I was younger, but I'll take the easy road now. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, it's always going to seem foolish, even to you, if you're trying to justify yourself in the eyes of the world. Why do you witness? Why do you do this? And you're trying to justify. They will never understand. Even to Christians who have not caught the revelation of the cross, will not understand. Why do you go out there? Like even to me as a pastor, why do you go out there and preach the cross? Just send a bunch of brochures out there about how to fix your marriage, and they'll come, you know, a bunch of flyers. That will do it. Just mail out to them. Pay someone to be a consultant, to go out and to figure out the needs of the community, and then go ahead and send out your programs. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters, whether it's the church or the unbelievers, I don't care where it comes from. Understand this. The message of the cross will never lose its power. The message of the cross is tied to Jesus Christ himself. And as long as we prioritize it, he will put his hand on it and he will bless it. Amen? So I speak that over every life group, over every ministry, that we will multiply that message to this world. I, Jesus speaking here, which I believe through the voice of the prophets here, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. If you study this Bible long enough, as we've taught here in our discipleship, you will begin to see that a scientist has nothing on you if they disagree with it. A philosopher has nothing on this if they disagree with it. That's why I say don't make up stuff and don't share stupid videos on TikTok when it's conspiracy-based. Oh, they found a, a, a cave, and now we can hear people from hell. I'm going to send that to my atheist friend. Don't do that. You make a fool out of both of us. Are you listening to me? Well, well, now they found a day missing in the solar eclipse, and it's the day of Joshua where the sun stands still. And then all somebody has to do is go to one of these sites and say debunked, and now they don't trust you for anything, okay? But I want you to hear me. Imagine being in the time of our ancestors and them hearing about the steady state of the universe, that the universe has had no beginning and end. This was now, uh, now known as Einstein's biggest blunder. He believed in the steady state. So now imagine you're a Christian and you're sitting there in a science class and it's Albert Einstein. And he says, you know, in his German accent, oh, there is no beginning and there is no end. The universe is eternal. What are you going to say there as a Christian? Uh, uh, my Bible says in the beginning, God made, you know, they would mock you. But you know what I would do if I was in a class like that? I would say, this is what the Bible says. I stand by it. And I think you're going to catch up one day to it. I don't care how foolish they think our Bible is. I'm standing on it in the name of Jesus. And guess what? He changed his mind as he began to see the redshift from Hubble's telescope that there was once, an ex if there's an expansion, there was once a concentration, and they called it the Big Bang, and we believe it in one way that God said, let there be light, and what? Bang, it happened. I believe in the one that can make things happen. Are you listening? But people may say the same thing. I'm smarter than you. I'm more intelligent than you. Listen to my degrees. Listen to my philosophy. I'm going to try to talk you out of this. The Bible says if you stand on it, you will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent you will frustrate. And how many know they do get frustrated with you? But now look at this in verse 20. Whoever's on the keyboards, would you come please? Notice this. Who is the wise person though? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Paul now is summarizing everything that would be 
something noble in that society. You know what? Look at all the wise. Where's the Bill Gates? Where's the Zuckerbergs? Where's the Elon Musk? Where's the Jeff Bezos? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the most experienced person here? Where's the rabbis? Where are the religious leaders? Where's the Pope? He says, where's the philosopher of this age? Where's the Nietzsche? Where's the Marx? Where's the Locke? Where's the Aristotle, the Plato? Where are they? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Notice this, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. I listened to a man the other day, he must be one of the ones you're beating up on because all he talked about was his jet talked about how much money he had and I said dear God man talk about Christ and the cross I don't even have a problem if a preacher has a jet as long as he didn't steal it I didn't give him the money for it if other people want to do that stupid is as stupid does that's between them and God but to stand behind the pulpit and to talk about your jet Elon Musk and these billionaires don't even do that When have you ever heard Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and a hundred of their podcasts, which by the way, I do listen to them, in any of those podcasts, talk about their jets, talk about their wealth. When was the last time you saw Mark Zuckerberg talking about these wealth? You know what I call these kind of preachers? Greedy little piglets. You're not even good at being a pig. You're a piglet. The ones that could ball you up and throw you out with their billions don't even act like you. You're too hungry to try to come to a church to pretend like you're full. No, you're still chasing after money because it hasn't satisfied you. The difference with those guys with the billions is they understand there's no satisfaction there. These other ones still chasing after it. And the Bible says it will pierce your soul. But listen, this world will convince you that there are other things we need to talk about. That there's other things you need to teach your children. You know, you need to get them ready for college so they can go get an STD, I mean a degree, so that you can go to here and get a job and jump off a building like these other guys have or commit suicide, join the entertainment industry and kill yourself like William Rob, um, Rob, Robin Williams. And the, the world will try to convince you that there's more important things. There isn't more important things. This is it. Listen to me. I'm glad each one of us here can pursue things in the professional world. God, with a sense of humor, asked me to start doing this later on in my life. I've been, by God's grace, proud to say I've never had to do a tent-making job. I've always been full-time ministry. But God's been putting things in my heart in these latter years. It was God because I know it never would have been me. So I've been learning from different folks, and I do different things, right? And I have an appreciation for the world and what they do to be successful more than I ever have before. But I want you to listen to me, brothers and sisters. At the end of the day, when I have done my thing to try to achieve some kind of success in the world, I don't care how well I did at that. I instantly begin to sense I am longing for something more right here. I am longing for something more. And that's why they can't wait for the weekends. I don't care how good they are at their jobs, how much they love their job. They can't wait to blow it all there at the lake. And to put their boats out there, some of my friends are out there that, you know, 4th of July weekend, you know, doing it all up as they tie their boats to each other. Because they know here, it doesn't matter how many videos they shoot or how many corporate deals they made, there is something they are longing for. I'm talking deep in their soul. And that's why we owe it to them to give them that crucified life our brother was talking about. It's not like it just works for drug dealers or for people on a jail cell or for me, high school dropouts and so forth. It's not like we're just the scum of the earth in this sense and, and that now with just you pitiful things, you guys needed it. On you Christians, you're weak in your minds. You have to have a crutch. No, this is everybody's answer. This is my neighbor's answer who's a Hindu who believes in these multiplicity of gods in a karmic cycle that never ends. This is their answer out. Jesus did with Ganesh, Krishna. None of them did for you. Jesus died so that you might live. This is the answer from my Muslim friend who just celebrated Id, uh, you know, their sacrifice of the belief of Abraham and and Ishmael and, and then Ramadan before that. This is their way out 
of the rat race of religious works. It's Christ and Him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They, they just missed it because they didn't see the prophecies and they thought it was unimportant. And why would a king have to die? And foolishness to the Gentiles. Oh, I even had a Hindu friend say this to me as we were looking at Bhagavad Gita. He said, your stories about Jesus in heaven, they're so boring, you need to read ours. Oh, it's like a soap opera. We have so many things going on. Yours are so boring. It's foolishness to the pagans, in other words. That's what the Gentiles... You ever been around Mardi Gras? You know, I've preached there. You know my stories. Oh, man, Mardi Gras makes Easter look, you know, like, what are we doing? We just sing a couple songs. Mardi Gras goes on for weeks. And then they party and party and they celebrate. And it comes back to the pagan gods. Now you might know why in Corinth, after a while, they got a little bored with the Lord's Supper and said, hey, man, let me show you how to really take communion. You're playing. Let's go back to the days where we celebrate our gods. Think of the Israelites. How long did it take for them to get bored of God? We're bored now, Aaron. Make something for us so we can strip down and wile out to this thing, this, this, this church thing. I've done it enough. I've seen this enough. You see, it's a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, boring to the backslidden Christian. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, he, Jesus, is that for us. The foolishness of God is wiser than the human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And this is where I want to close out as our altar workers and band come because we're going to do an altar call. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Remember when you heard a message like this, if this uh, you know, kind of message is what brought you to Christ. I hope it, it did. This is the kind of preaching that saved me. Brothers and sisters, remember when you first were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of no birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's what you see in the cross. Do you guys see that in the cross? It was that which was weak in the eyes of the world but made strong. It was that what was foolish that was made to be wise. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness. Somebody say, Jesus is my righteousness. Say, Jesus is my holiness. Say, Jesus is my redemption. Thank you. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Would you stand up with me today, please? Would you give it up for Jesus and his word today to be crucified and to live with Jesus? I want to take the next few moments we have in this service with my dear brother. Can we get a microphone for him just in case he wants to say something separately over it? I want us to leave out of your praying, brothers and sisters. For first and foremost, those who need to get saved and those who need to rededicate. Okay? So in a few moments, if that's you, you can do it at your seat or come up to a prayer worker. We do this for your benefit. This is not to shame you or embarrass you. It's so that you can have courage and the help of a brother or sister. So many times people say, that church didn't love me, that church didn't help me. If you ever meet any of those people who came from Metro Praise, just look at them and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. That church helped you every Sunday having prayer workers. They offered you free one-on-one -on -one discipleship. They hunted you down until you put call block on their number. You, you, you didn't like them. That was just the problem. Can I hear an amen to that? So they are here for you, to pray for you, to mentor you, to coach you, so that no one leaves out here not understanding the gospel, the cross, and how it looks like, and what it looks like as you uh, walk out of here. But then here for the rest of us, because that's always a smaller number of this church. Most of you are already saved, living right. But I want you, if you've lost that first love, and you've kind of thought a little bit about maybe something smarter than doing it like this and you're tempted to think I don't know now you know I've been a Christian five years and I'm running into some real problems I don't know if I need to do this as my first and primary focus maybe I should pull back from discipleship maybe I should pull back from the ministry and I need a sabbatical this is what people get in their mind I won't go be spiritual by stop going to church and doing ministry that's my sabbatical if you need a sabbatical from ministry you've been doing it wrong just repent 
I can't do enough of ministry. I'm not saying I'm going to work myself to death. I'm just saying, like, if you're to the point where you think removing things out of your life are spiritual disciplines and commands, that's not the solution. It doesn't work for pastors, as you see it. The moment pastors start pulling away on those sabbatical journeys all the time, the next thing you see is they're resigning. The next thing that you see is they're selling real estate or vitamins. One of my favorite evangelists is now an evangelist for a vitamin shop. I don't know how that, I wrote him and talked to him the other day. I said, brother, there's nothing wrong with starting your own home business, but why are you now not preaching? He was an evangelist. Now he's selling vitamins. I don't have anything against if you're doing it here. Amen. Keep being blessed. You do your thing. Get your four to sell five and, you know, five products, and then you do the thing. Keep small. I get it. But we're not stopping living for Jesus. If there's a problem, we're going to fix it here, and we're going to ask God to fix it. Amen. So if you're not saved, get saved today. Come to the cross. If you're kind of out of it, then you've been walking away, like how we like to say lukewarm, backslidden, whatever word you want to say, come back. And then if you're like the majority here, and you say, okay, Joe, I'm good. I know if I die, I go to heaven. I'm living for Jesus, and I actually love Jesus, and I'm having a good time living for Jesus. Make sure that you're not trying to get out of the commands and the things he's called you to do because it came with a little bit of suffering. Or because it came with a little bit of an embarrassment when you had to sit down with your friend at the, you know, the lunch that the corporate was paying for. And then he said, yeah, my daughter's getting married to her, her gay best friend. And I just can't wait to see this because I've never been a part of it. Now, what do you think, Bob? And they look at you. And now you're embarrassed all of a sudden and then stutter and you, 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 you can't say it because maybe that's your project manager. You know what you're going to do? You're going to look right at him and you're going to say, listen, Gary, I'm glad that you love your daughter. I love my kids too, but I can't support what your daughter's doing and I'm going to pray for her. And I'm not just going to pray that she stops being a lesbian, though that's a sin. I'm just going to pray that she gets rid of all of her sin and lives the crucified life because I used to be a sinner just like her and I had my own sins that I used to carry around as my favorite pets too, but God set me free and he took care of it. And he saved me, and he gave me a new life to live. And that may sound foolish to you. And you may want to embarrass me now to our friends at this table, and you may want to shame me when we go back to work and tell HR about me. But I just want to tell you something. I'm praying for you too. Because this is what I believe. I live a crucified life. And then if after that meeting, something begins to happen, you do all you can with lawyers and justice and all of that. But if you feel a little pinch of suffering, I want you to talk to my friend Pakistan. Is that where you're from? Talk to him about our brothers and sisters in Pakistan who I remember with a bracelet of persecution, who I've had to fly from Pakistan to Nepal to meet with me because they wouldn't allow me in there and they wouldn't allow him to India. And you talk about how they have to have gates in front of their churches with armed security guards because they're so tired of them running in their suicide bomb trucks into their services and how their children are then kidnapped and put into Muslim homes. And when the Christian parents plead with the government, they say, no, she's converted. And if now she says she hasn't converted, she faces the apostasy law. But if she says she stays, now she must be the property of a Muslim man. Is that not the truth, man of God? They put him in a no-win situation, and here we are. Pinch, the HR has to talk to you now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's okay if you have a problem and come to Jesus, even if it's a pinch. But I just want you to have a little bit of courage today if you have to carry that cross into HR and you have to talk to your boss and say, boss, I didn't mean to offend him. I didn't mean to be rude. He brought up personal matters and I brought up mine. Can we just leave it at that? If not, I've got four lawyers on Michigan Avenue that say they like cases like this. And for you, it may be at the college campus. And for you, it may be at the barbecue. And for you, it may be when you go talk to your family. And for you, it may be on the job site as they're saying, look at these girls as they walk by. And for you, it may be the person knocking at your door, your old friend wanting to kick up some dirt again and get back on the street, you know, kick up dust and get down on the road and drive out and be wild. It could happen in all of our lives, but we're carrying the cross. Amen. Do you want to say anything else before we start praying to him, praying for him? I just say one thing. Come on. When we talk about the the crucified life, we can't neglect to focus on the value of what we're dying for. When preachers burn out or Christians backslide, it's because of something very very simple. Even though we talk about Jesus, we still sing the songs yep, yep. at church. 
the Bible tells us to look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And I think many times what we do is, and it's so subtle, it's so simple, and we've all done it for moments. We just, we don't want to walk away from Jesus. We don't want to burn out. We just subtly take our eyes off of him and we put it on the circumstance yeah. around us. Or worsely, we put it in that mirror. Yeah. You want to be depressed? Come That's on. why our society's filled with people who are depressed and have to have antidepressants for their That's antidepressants. is because they've been taught to look in the mirror that the answers are there. I'm here to tell you Oprah's wrong. That's the right. answers aren't inside of you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen, and, and if you want to know where the fire comes from the Spirit, it comes from that. Re readjust your gaze. And sometimes you need help doing that. Just get with a brother. Get with a sister. If you're a brother, get with a brother. If you're a sister, get with a sister. And say, this is what I'm going through. And they can talk you and pray over you and, 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 and help you readjust your focus and tear down some of that junk maybe that's, that's blind, just become blinders for you. Amen. Father, as we get ready to dismiss this service, we pray that those who are here will not leave. If you want them to stay and pray and to get closer to you, God, so that the crucified life comes alive in them today. Those that have to go or feel a peace to leave as we dismiss, Lord, we pray that they'll go in your power, spreading your word everywhere they go so that the crucified life they're living will impact others. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray and bless every person here. And everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord, saints?